Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Noom for supporting Muller She Wrote. Getting in shape isn't about a number on the scale. Noom helps you develop a new relationship with food, build healthier habits, and feel better about yourself. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash ag. And thanks to Worthy for supporting Muller She Wrote. Worthy believes you deserve an easier way to sell your valuable jewelry. Go to worthy.com slash ag to get started. That's worthy.com slash ag. And thanks to Third Love for supporting Muller She Wrote. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off their first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash ag to find yours today. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm the host of the On Topic podcast, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, AG, and I'm overly excited for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that was just a little over the top. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. Uh, I'm your host, AG. With me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. We have a big show today, including information on the McCabe firing. Uh, another dump of Mueller memos. Later in the show, we'll be joined by former U.S. attorney and host of the On Topic podcast, our good friend Renato Mariotti. He's going to discuss uh, the legality of the firing of Lieutenant Colonel Vinman and his brother, and perhaps maybe the inspector general could be in trouble too, the ICIG. Uh, how are you? I'm great. How was your weekend? Uh, it was pretty good. I, I mean, did some shows at Madhouse. Nice. That was fun. Uh, did you see Steve Martin and Chris Rock were at the store this weekend? No, that's awesome. Running their uh, Oscars. Oh, cool. Running their Oscar stuff. Very cool. Are they hosting? I think so. I mean, well, that's what they said. Okay. Uh, and the post, like, Carmen Morales posted. A bunch of people were like, holy shit. That's uh, fucking Boston awesome. Boston Jones hosted um, uh, on the main stage and then it said that oh. that uh, Steve Martin and Chris Walker running their shit, I think, in the belly room. Cool. I don't know. It's just, it's so fantastic. That what place a cool, is so magical. It really is. Any night, any given night, some shit like that could happen. Mm-hmm. You could have Steve Martin and Chris Rock come in and run their Oscar shit. The other night, Chappelle came in, I heard, and did like three hours. He like took over the belly room. Just <sighs> popped in and the did The belly like, room? Yeah. Okay, so the belly room is this little place upstairs that seats like 80 people. And then the OR is a much bigger room. And then the main room is the huge one. Mm-hmm. So when you have like folks like Steve Martin, Chris Rock... Dave Chappelle doing the belly room. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's so intimate and tiny. It's like it's like seeing the, the Beatles at the tavern, you know? Yes. If my memory is correct, a little bit of sore history, the belly room was created so that women could have a spot to go up and do comedy. 
That was where all the women's shows were, yeah. Yeah. To 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 start. And now it's a nice co-ed space. <laughs> Progress. <laughs> now we put all the men up there and we do the main stage, <laughs> see? Uh anyway, we do have a lot of news to get to. Sorry, a little comedy uh, <laughs> side road there. But uh before we get to the news, we do have a couple of corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh I made a mistake. Okay, so from Bernie Van Tegum and also from Matt Baker, uh, you folks rock, you keep me sane in these crazy times, thank you, uh, referencing what Mandy said in a recent episode, in Canada, you're actually not restricted to government stores for cannabis. In Canada, when the federal government announced legalization, they allowed the provinces uh, to establish their individual regulations. Legislation for this is decentralized, as there are many as are many other things in the country, such as healthcare. Some provinces have government stores, but many do have private stores. Cannabis production is regulated to companies meeting requirements and are licensed. And each province does allow home growing and online sale. Nice. All right. Cool. Online uh, sale. Nice. Keep up the news format. Uh, it's the only source of Trump news my PTSD adult brain can take. Oh, thank you. It's from one PTSD adult brain to another. High five. Um, producer note, Amanda says she's sorry, sorry, when she gets Canadian law wrong. She hasn't lived there in a decade. It's cool. (laughs) Thank you. I'll tell her. Don't be sorry. Um, from Galen Taxi. Love you guys. Listen every day. You help me get through this crisis. I really appreciate the relief you bring. Uh, Jordan mentioned the National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, We, we talked about this, uh, briefly in, um, it tomorrow morning's episode or tonight if you're a patron's episode of daily beans but uh jordan mentioned the national prayer breakfast was started by president eisenhower however it was actually the shadowy christian political group the fellowship or the family who really started it uh from wikipedia which i'm gonna just say right here not my favorite source but from (laughs) wikipedia the fellowship holds one regular public event each year the national prayer breakfast which is in washington dc every sitting united states president since dwight d eisenhower has participated in at least one national prayer breakfast during their term Jordan has mentioned this documentary before, but if folks haven't seen it, check it out. The family, I believe Pompeo and Barr are members of this organization as well. Hope you guys come back to D.C. soon. We should. I think we're going on May twenty, May 21st. Yes. Yeah, we're going to do a podcast panel. Gaslit Nation is going to be there. We're going to host some stuff. Oh, that's going to be so fun. Yeah. But thank you for that correction. (laughs) That is terrifying. Yes. The family is gross. Yes. From Lauren Murphy and Christy Campbell, during each show, you give me reason to smile or laugh. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yay, I get to send a correction. She's really excited. Uh, the World War One Museum is in Kansas City, Missouri. So my first instincts were correct. <laughs> it happens to be across the street from where the Chiefs Parade ended, Union Station, on Wednesday. It's a great museum. I'm glad you were able to get there. I know I loved it. It was so good. And you can go down in the basement and check the archives and they have like find your family members records and stuff like yeah. that. So the parade went from Sunday to Wednesday? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it just was just on Wednesday. Four days of marching. Dude. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> sometimes it takes that long. Yeah. Um, uh, you have made me more an informed person when it comes to politics and current events. Thank you. You're welcome. From Daniel Rosenberg and Jose Panetti. Hello. Love the show. Uh, the DNC only eliminated superdelegates from the first ballot. So in a con- in a contested convention where, for example, Sanders gets 45 percent of the normal delegates and Biden has 35 or something like that. There would be a second try where the superdelegates, there's 750 of them, can still be the deciding votes for the establishment and go for Biden. Yeah. I think they put that rule back in when they yeah. realized there could be a contested convention. Yeah. Bummer uh, correction, but thank you. Bummer correction, but thank you. Uh, from Elmo. 
Uh, thank you. For, we've, we, I think we've had a correction from Elmo. <laughs> I think so, too. I think, I think Unless there are two Elmos. Elmo knows all. Yes. Thank you for an informative show. Hello, your friendly neighborhood archivist here. Uh, I take issue on your analysis of the National Archives. What is happening there is not the choice of the archivist doing the day-to-day work of the agency. As much sympathy as you have for federal workers at places like the VA, you don't extend that to federal archivists. Yes, I did. Uh, as you said about other federal workers, they have two choices. Do as they're uh, directed or resign. Keep that in mind. I thought I said that. Well, this is definitely directed towards me because that was my story. Yeah, but I thought I thought we had had that discussion. And I thought mm-hmm. I had made the point that, hey, you know, these are the on the ground people and you have a choice to either do what the your bosses tell you or have no job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is happening at all sorts of federal agencies. Um, I'm sorry. I thought I made that pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. clear. And then I thought we ended that discussion with, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sorry that I came off that way. Um, yeah, definitely, we definitely don't blame the archivists. No, that story was, I think that was a New York Times story that came out. And so that was like largely from their reporting. I don't know at all what happens exactly in that agency. I don't have any direct ties to it whatsoever. So, well, um, Elmo, I promise we don't blame you. Um, yes. I have, I also think um, my interpretation of everything was that it's the State Department, really. It's mostly their issue, which equals the Trump administration. Yeah, I think I think our I think where we landed was it's coming down from the top. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, those are corrections. If you have any corrections, please head to MullerSheWrote.com. Click contact, select corrections, build us a compliment sandwich. We'll get it right eventually. I promise. Uh, and thank you so much for all your all of your corrections there. Sorry, I didn't mean to get like too defensive about my stance on government <laughs> employees. I am one, so I'm like, I did not say that. Yeah, no, we definitely, or I have been throwing a lot of shade towards National Archives over the last two stories that have come out, but I don't mean for it to be directed at the folks, the hardworking folks that work there and do not have any sort of control over what actually happens. There's one for you, Elmo. Is it archivists or archivists? Oh, yes. I think I saw someone tweet us that it's archivists. Is it? I think so. Okay. Well, yeah. Elmo would know. Yes, Elmo would know. And we appreciate the archivists. Archivists, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you very much. Say All hello right. to Big Bird for me. Yes, Big Bird. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just agreed with you. Like, yes, yes, say hello to Big Bird. And now, why? What? Well, that's a Sesame Street reference. Elmo. Oh! <laughs> I'm all... Is Big Bird an archivist? <laughs> My brain is so broken, dude. I'm like, <laughs> I'm also very sorry if Elmo is not a name that is supposed to be playful, and it is actually a real name. In which case, it is an awesome name. I think it's Elmo. Yes. Uh, okay. I'm all yes. And say a little Big Bird. Uh, now, time for the news. Uh, I just went right along with that. Yes, ending. Uh, but we do have a lot of news to get to, so let's jump in with just the facts. <laughs> All right, so here's some news. Eric Prince is back, um, and the Department of Justice is finally reviewing the allegations that he misled Congress uh, in his Russia probe testimony. Lied. He lied. Uh, this is a 10-month-old allegation from House Intel Committee Chair Adam Schiff, who said that Prince repeatedly lied to lawmakers during the panel's investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Politico got a hold of a letter from Assistant Attorney General Boyd, Stephen Boyd, uh, to Schiff, sent February 4th, so what, this was like five days ago, apologizing for the delay and responding to his April 2019 request that the Department of Justice look into Prince's lying. Way back in April, Schiff sent Barr a letter, who had been on the job just a couple of months at that point, uh, expressing concern about a series of manifest and substantial falsehoods and cited six specific instances where Prince misled the Hipsy. Um, first and foremost, Hipsy, House Permanent Select Council on Intelligence. Uh, sorry, I just run through these acronyms. <laughs> 
Like they're nothing. First and foremost, uh, that the meeting with Dmitriev and Nader in the Seychelles took place purely by chance. Uh, he also said he had no official role with the Trump campaign. Uh, and he also said he had no formal communications or contacts with the campaign. All of those have been borne out to be lies through email communications and documents and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We will keep you posted on this investigation, quote unquote, provided it even gets the attention it deserves with Bill Barr at the helm of the Department of Justice. It probably will just get uh, circular filed. Uh, and we have news about B-Rad Parscale, too. Uh, Brad Parscale, I come B-Rad. <laughs> he, was, uh, <laughs> he was the one that coordinated... <laughs> Sounds like Melania named him. <laughs> B-Rad. Uh, he was the one that coordinated with Cambridge Analytica, ran Trump's online campaign. Uh, our friend Robert McGuire, who's been on the podcast. I had a nice lunch with him in, in D.C. Mm-hmm. a while back. Very, very cool guy. Uh, he penned a piece for Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, or crew that pro-Trump groups have paid a firm owned by B-Rad significantly more than was previously known including a new $1.7 million payment for media advocacy services from America First Policies, a pro-Trump PAC that uh, doesn't have to disclose its donors. I think it's a 501c4. Uh, Last year, we learned that America First Action, another PAC for Trump, uh, a related organization run out of the same office by the same people, by Mm. the way, dropped $900,000 into Parscale's firm and an additional $675,000 to Red State, which is another Parscale joint, putting the combined payments nearly at $3.3 million. As we know, by law, super PACs must operate independently from the campaigns they support. So this large flow of cash uh, to, you know, to the guy who runs the campaign to firms that he owns raises questions mm-hmm. about the possibility of illegal coordination, right? Like, because PACs aren't supposed to get with the campaign and say where money came from and help them spend it. Right. They're supposed to be separate, uh, you know, totally separate entities. And now you've got Trump's campaign mm-hmm. chair running two companies that have received just $3.3 in the last couple months. Didn't a similar issue come up when there were the two ads, the yeah. TV ads? McQueen, Ackerman, Ackerman yes. and something else. Yes, like mm-hmm. it was clear that they had like coordinated. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as though we're to believe that Parscale, who's his, who his campaign manager, doesn't coordinate with the Trump campaign, or that these payments aren't for campaign work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all in all, firms owned by Parscale have brought in more than $40 million from Republican committees and pro-Trump groups since 2016, with nearly $8 million coming from America First PACs. Uh, the two America First groups have raised a combined $50.4 million in 2019. Of course, the question, if any of this amounts to illegal coordination, is probably moot, According to McGuire, since the uh, Federal Election Commission only has three commissioners and is effectively ineffective without a quorum, so they can't authorize an investigation or levy any fines until Trump nominates new commissioners and Mitch McConnell confirms him in the Senate. Oh, God. Good luck with that. I didn't know that's what had to happen for that to get done. Like we say, we just have to vote numbers too big to manipulate. Yeah, well, that explains why it's gone unfilled this whole time. Oh, I was just sitting here banging my head against the wall like, why? How fucking hard is it? But now we know it's impossible. And Jane Weintraub, chair of the FEC, is sitting there ripping her hair out like, there's so much illegal shit going on and I can't do anything. And, yeah. and uh, he, you, you have to get Trump to nominate the people and Mitch to, to push them through the Senate. Ugh. I know. It sucks. I'm sorry. Um, I wish I had better news after the break, but uh, it's important news. <laughs> Uh, And we do have the interview with Renato coming up later. So stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and if you're like me, you're interested in getting in better shape, but you don't want a drill sergeant forcing you to run and starve and starve and run and run while starving. Uh, getting in shape doesn't have to be about a number on a scale or losing a, a specific amount of weight. It's about building healthier habits and feeling better about yourself, getting more energy. That's why I love this new habit-changing program from Noom. Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyzing your diet, recommending healthy recipes. They connect you with a personalized goal specialist and you have a whole community of other Noomers, so you have the support you need to empower your change. And it's all in one app. I used to have six different apps. One for my food log, one for tracking steps, one for putting in my exercise, one for getting nutrition information. And now it's just all in one place. And plus, with Noom, you pick the goals that are right for you, and they personalize a program to help you reach your goals. They're based in a cognitive behavioral approach, and they use personalized courses to help you reach your specific goals. So not only do you have all the tools you need in one spot, you also get this really great cognitive behavioral help. Um, you don't have to commit to a rigorous plan either. It's just 10 minutes a day. They make it really convenient with the Noom app. They don't use negative reinforcement. There's no shaming. There's no guilt. So if you go off track, they just have tips to help you get back on track tomorrow. No bigs. It's the perfect time to make a step towards healthier habits. So sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash A-G to start your trial today. That's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. You'll be glad you did. Okay, everybody, welcome back. This is actually kind of good news. I'm sorry, I was sort of bleak before the break. But as you know, for a couple years now on this show, in response to Trump saying over and over again he wants to be president forever, wants a third term, thinks that because he was impeached he deserves another term, or does that whole thing that he put, that Twitter thing that he did with mm-hmm. the him being Never president until 80,000. Yeah. Uh, and then he also retweeted that. He retweeted himself saying, this is so great mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Just... Absolutely weird. I, this just occurred to me, but he would be long dead before that year. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's also thinking his head can be kept alive. Mm. Oh, God. I hope he's not listening. <laughs> uh, I guess he more means the vibe of Trump should last forever. <laughs> yeah, or his kids and his kids. And his oh, kids. no. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Mm. That is probably what that means. Yeah, that's what I took it to mean. Gross. So for this whole time he's been saying that, we've been saying we don't want a president of forever. We don't want a permanent president. We want a permanent special counsel. We want somebody who's there to continually investigate the administration and future administrations. And during the debates this week in New Hampshire, the Democratic debates, Elizabeth Warren actually floated the idea saying she had a plan to set up a task force in the Department of Justice to investigate not just Trump corruption, although she will do that if she's elected president, but ongoing to investigate administrative, executive, and congressional corruption. And I love this idea. I hope the other candidates consider it as well. Uh, and like I said uh, in uh, earlier, if it's of note, Andrew Yang during that debate said he thought that in the spirit of unity, we should not investigate or go after Trump and his corrupt, corrupt family. We should move forward as a nation. And added that he thinks Americans don't care. And that really bummed me out. Yeah. Um, that was a uh, an unforced error that he didn't need to make. And No. I personally think the fact that we didn't investigate Nixon and pardon him and we didn't investigate Bush, that Obama just went forward in the name of unity, I think that has a lot to do with why we're in the position that we're in now. And I think it's very important um, that whatever candidate... Um, it, it gets elected or gets nominated has a plan to fight mm-hmm. and to go after this and to and to hold them accountable mm-hmm. because they shouldn't be above the law and if they do then that's just going to mean for future generations it's just going to be easier and easier to have more corrupt people in here and i'm worried about a smart person 
coming in and trying to be a dictator. Right. Yeah, because right now the lesson that I guess has sort of been demonstrated is you only have to get through a certain small time period of judgment Mm -hmm. and even remotely being held accountable and then you're pretty much just like off free. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of the... With this attorney general and all of his sycophants that he's put in place and all of the firing of uh, FBI agents who were holding anybody to account, um, it's it's just gotten it's gotten to a point where he's free and clear now. Mm-hmm. And I think if the next president um, elected Democrat doesn't hold him to account, there will be other new, smarter, more jerky yeah like nefarious nefarious uh, people who will come in and try to to do what trump is too stupid to do yeah exactly seriously that is terrifying thinking about what this would be like if he was as smart as like hitler yeah very scary yeah um so good plan i like that plan i hope other candidates uh, look into that also this week senator chris murphy has asked the government accountability office the gao that those are the ones who came out with the, what did they say? They they came out with a report saying that um, I forget if it was blocking document or yeah, wait, shit. Oh, with the withholding of the aid. Yes, that yeah. it was illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a violation of the Impoundment Control mm-hmm. Act. And so he's now Chris Murphy, a Democratic senator, I think from Connecticut. He's asking um, the GAO whether Trump and Barr are improperly or overclassifying documents provided to Congress. Murphy is a member of the Senate Appropriations Committee. I'm sorry, I said Senate Finance in the other show. Send me the corrections. <laughs> uh, Senate Appropriations Committee. The Appropriations Committee are, the, you know, those are the ones who appropriate the money, and that's why it's illegal and against the Impoundment Control Act mm-hmm. to withhold it if you're the president. Um, but so now he's asking the GAO, the same organization who said that the Impoundment Control Act was violated by Trump when he withheld the aid. He wants them to see if if Barr and the Justice Department or Trump or the Trump administration are improper, improperly redacting, overclassifying things. Mm-hmm. Um, see, he said the classification of Mike Pence's September 18th call with President Zelensky poses extraordinary misclassification practices and said that that was the last straw. He said, quote, there was absolutely nothing in that document that should have been classified. Damn. Um, we already know Judge Reggie Walton, presiding over the BuzzFeed Mueller memo FOIA case, has expressed concern with Maine Justice's redaction practices. Um, uh, Judge Reg- Reggie Walton even said, I'll go through them one at a time to make sure that they've been redacted properly. Don't fuck with me. And of course, we know about the pl- I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. We know about the, <laughs> the placement of uh, call readouts in the code word classified nice system at the White House to reduce the scope and, and the, you know, the, of the reduce the number of eyes on the information because it's politically embarrassing content or could be illegal. Uh, it is against the law to classify documents over uh, to cover crimes or politically embarrassing information mm-hmm. to misuse or, you know, malappropriate the classification system for your own personal political benefit mm-hmm. or to cover up a crime. And so Murphy is asking uh, the GAO also if a member of Congress can question the appropriateness of the classification of a document or documents. Quote, right now, the only thing we can do is declassify it ourselves, which I do not think is a solution. But if this doesn't get better, then I do think we need to think about the process by which a third party can weigh in and decide to unclassify something that's just political embarrassment. Uh, I disagree with you, Uh, Murphy. I say you you are a check on the executive branch. I think you should be able to declassify that shit yourself. I don't see that there's a law against it. you know, send me your in, in, tell me what you think about that. Uh, you everybody like mm-hmm. send it to me, hit me up. Um, do a, a go to um, 
go to our website, go to MullerSheWrote.com. Look and see like the the contact page and and let us know if you know if it's illegal for Congress, the Intelligence Com- uh, Committee, for example, Senate Intel or or a House um, Permit Select Committee on Intelligence. Is it illegal for them to just unilaterally declassify something? I wonder if the especially if it's not classified information, right? I mean, I imagine it would again just amount to a court battle, but I could see them declassifying it and the DOJ going after them. Yeah, but at that point, so fucking what? Yeah, and also I <laughs> guess just the, I'm just thinking of the possible arguments against it. Then also the precedent that that would set potentially for Republicans to do whenever maybe Democrats want to hold something as classified. Cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of cool with it. Really? Like you're the Congress, you're you're the third party. You're protected by the speech and debate clause, by the way. You can't be arrested for it. Mm-hmm. So fuck it. Like if, if you can't arrest Rand Paul for throwing out the whistleblower's name on, on the Senate yeah, floor. Yeah, I was just going to say that. They already started doing that, so. Like, yeah. Just fucking do it. Yeah. Ugh, what a shitty, like, this is such a complete and well-established thought experiment of what happens when our con- when our Constitution falls into the hands of the wrong person. Yep. It's, Very scary. Wrong people. It is, and I'm hoping it holds. Yeah. Hold. Me too. Uh, and of course, this week, um, I think last week's sabotage was that Barr had replaced Jesse Liu, the uh, AUSA attorney, U.S. attorney uh, in D.C. with his sycophant, Timothy Shea. Well, there's new stuff now. Barr is saying that if you want to, if anyone wants to investigate a president or vice presidential candidate in the 2020 election, you have to write and ask permission to the Department of Justice. And then you must in return get express written consent from William Barr himself to open that investigation. And I just learned today, Lindsey Graham went on uh, some of the Sunday morning shows and says he spoke with Bill Barr and Bill Barr has given Lindsey Graham, no, uh, uh, shit brain, asshole, mayor of New York, (laughs) Giuliani, (laughs) a back channel to just hand all of his Biden dirt over to Bill Barr directly. That's happening. Gotcha. So if you if Bill Barr is the one who can have give give this permission, of course the Bidens are going to be investigated. They'll open an investigation into anybody who's doing well in the Democratic primary, mm-hmm. uh, while also probably disallowing maybe already current and ongoing investigations, certainly new investigations by the FBI, NSA, um, Southern District of New York, any of the U.S. Attorney's offices into Trump and and mm-hmm. and foreign interference into this campaign. To benefit Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's already happening. And so now we've got this extra thermal layer of shit mm-hmm. protecting Trump from uh, oversight. And so with the Giuliani direct to bar stuff, that would be a tr- direct transfer of that, you know, quote unquote, damaging information as opposed to going through the actual channels of going to the FBI or some sort of intelligence agency and it working its way through the process of vetting that potential investigation. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. Gross. Really, really, really gross. And there's no, I mean, I know we wouldn't know this right now, and I'm sure someone will think about it, already has thought about it, but there's no, like, rules that say you're not allowed to do that as the attorney general. You can, you don't just get to carte blanche, open up whatever investigations you want to. You know, it's really hard to investigate the attorney general. Yeah. Because he's the attorney general. Yeah. But it's it's just interesting to me that that this 
ap- this this disinformation paid for by the Kremlin, mm-hmm. paid for by Fertosh, mm-hmm. uh, is getting a direct line yeah. to our attorney general through Giuliani, a private citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, who isn't working on policy, according to Seculo and Trump's own legal defense team in the Ukraine matter. It's just, it's mind-boggling that they would take anything that he has to say at all seriously. Mm-hmm. It's gross. Yeah. Giuliani really has quite the uh, anti-hero story arc of his life, doesn't he? <laughs> I hope they do a Broadway musical about him. That seems very appropriate. It's and the hilarious. reverse, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's the it's the you know the things started out all right I guess and then they just <laughs> the inside hero arc but in reverse yes yeah yeah that guy's disgusting mm, it's like a Breaking Bad <sighs> but you're not even that cool no not at all <laughs> not at all someone one of the probably biggest deltas of respect or losing it that's ever existed in a person. <laughs> just like he fell so hard he fell so hard Mm. oh my god i don't know maybe it's because my parents are like well not my dad but my mom is more centrist on some issues my conceptions of giuliani were not that bad when i was a kid no they weren't as bad as they should have been no right yeah but when I found out, like, some of the shit he really did um, yes. in, you know, during 9-11 as mayor of New York, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you, you're at that age, you only have what the media presents to you. And it was a different it was a different Rudy. Yeah. My parents talk about how he, like, cleaned up the streets and stuff. But, like, obviously that comes with an amazing amount of racism. <laughs> yeah. The, the part they don't tell you in the news is, yeah, the whole stop and frisk. Yeah. Uh, also this week, we had our State of the Union, which Nancy has renamed the State of Trump's Mind. Uh, it was full of errors and lies. For example, I just learned this morning from the Philadelphia Inquirer, I think, um, local newspaper in, in Pennsylvania. The girl who he had awarded a scholarship to mm-hmm. said, you can get out of that crappy government public school, government school. Uh, and, and, and I've got a full scholarship for you for one of those nice charter schools. Turns out that girl was already going to a charter school. So I guess he's just going to help her out. Just I get, just, yeah. keep, just keep going keep going down that direction. So that was a big lie and using uh, people as props. Mm-hmm. Um, that, God, he just, also, go ahead. It just seems so like knocking on your own institutions. Because that what it is, government school saying that in like a derogatory way. Yeah, it's your shit, dude. Yeah. It's, your, it's your shit pile. And it's like when Barr came out and said that the Department of Prisons is appalling. It's your fucking department exactly it's yours yeah the va is terrible we'll fix it yes (laughs) what do you think your job is Mm -hmm. orange fucking by the way that tweet with his orange face it's when his hair's all blown back and it's like yes (laughs) looks like he's just been eating a giant ass oh my god there's so many good memes going around about that too yeah it's very amazing did you see weekend update on snl no it was so good i'm gonna watch it right after fire yeah you have to watch it right after this yeah um, also, uh, what he lied, he said during the State of the Union that America, uh, became energy independent under him, under his watch. That is not true. It became energy independent under Obama's watch. There was just a whole ton of, it was just a whole shit show. If you want, uh, we, we covered it pretty extensively in Thursdays. I think it was Thursdays, Daily Beans, mm-hmm. um, after the State of the Union, which was Wednesday, right? No, the vote was Wednesday. Tuesday was the State of the Union. So Wednesday's Daily Beans. Um, we went over all the lies and, and all the embarrassing things he did, like give the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh. Um, 
Usually um, someone came out with an op-ed saying like, it was the LA Times. They came out with an op-ed saying that Limbaugh is not a bigot. He's a philanthropist who like deserves the award. What the frick is going on with the LA Times? Right? It's They've fucking They've gotten so weird. much shit wrong in the last couple of months. Fuck them. I'm not doing their crossword anymore. <laughs> Back to the New York Times for me. Even I can't do Saturday. Fine. <laughs> Uh, we'll be right back with Hot Notes, and we have the interview with Renato Mariotti, so stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this segment of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Worthy. Diamonds are forever, they say, but sadly, many marriages are not. After a divorce, diamonds are often hidden out of sight. It takes time to fully move on when a marriage ends, and, and letting go looks different to everybody. Many women see the choice to sell their rings as a step towards acceptance and new beginnings. So if you're looking to sell your diamond, do it the smart way, with Worthy. Worthy believes you deserve an easier way to sell your, your valuable jewelry with trust. So here's how it works. You schedule a free, secure pickup, fully insured by Lloyds of London, and tracked by FedEx. Worthy does all the work for you. You get a total, total peace of mind. Um, expert gemologists from GIA prepare your jewelry for auction. You're in control at every step. You choose what price to accept, set a reserve, even after you send in your jewelry. So you can watch offers roll in for up to twice as much as what you get from a local jeweler or pawn shop. You get paid quickly within just a few days. And with Worthy, you can trust that you're getting the best possible price for your jewelry. You may have already seen Worthy on the Today Show, in the New York Times, Washington Post, Forbes, and more. There are tens of thousands of happy sellers who have sold over $100 million worth of jewelry with Worthy. Also, tons of five-star reviews. And selling your jewelry can be a great way to re reinvent yourself and your future. So why would you settle for less than the best price you can get? Give Worthy a try, and you could get double what you get from your local jeweler. See all the rave reviews and success stories for yourself right on their website. And go to worthy.com slash AG to get started. That's worthy, W-O-R-T-H-Y dot com slash AG. You'll be glad you did. All right. Welcome back. Hot notes. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for hot notes. And we had two giant things dumped on our heads uh, today. And we're going to go over those. First of all, Jordan, you have the Mueller, the Mueller memo dump. Yes, the Justice Department has released another bundle of Mueller documents to BuzzFeed and CNN as part of their FOIA request. This dump includes 300 pages. I thought of you said a bindle. Bindle. Like, like, like the hobo bindle. Ooh, I is that the see. stick that you tie a yes. bandana of clothes to? <laughs> stick with a bandana full of documents. <laughs> That'd be great. I hope that's Mueller how it's delivered. Yeah. <laughs> that's how Giuliani would deliver it. Yeah. Put some calligraphy on it or something. Oh, my God. Crypt. Um, this dump includes 300 pages of notes from witness interviews, otherwise known as 302s. You've heard us say that before on the podcast, 302s. And we'll keep saying it because that's uh, most of the stuff, it seems. The 302s involved co uh, cover interviews of people like Jared Kushner, Andrew McCabe, Sean Spicer, Reince Priebus, Rick Gates, Michael Cohen, and Steve Bannon. So there's a lot of very key players uh, that are included in these. There's still a lot of redactions, however. So, And they, guess what? All the redactions happen to be uh, on the interviews that are the people closest to Trump. Who would have guessed? <laughs> Notes on Kushner totaled five pages, and the document is almost entirely redacted. Totally redacted. And you know what freaks me out, too? Because we thought, the I thought, personally, maybe not y'all, thought that the Kushner interview was dumped in January and it was the 31 page redacted interview with the name redacted too. Turns out Kushner's is only five pages. So mm -hmm. now I'm dying to know who that 31 page motherfucker is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, with the stuff that was released in this round, it appears the topics that were talked about were likely uh, Michael Flynn, 
definitely Michael Flynn and the campaign's efforts to reach out to foreign leaders after the election. And then also uh, talks about the Trump Tower meeting in December 2016 between Kushner, Flynn and Kislyak. The reason it's all redacted is because of the law that allows the government to keep secret attorney to keep secret attorney notes and executive branch deliberations from the public. That's according to CNN. Uh, They're still awaiting unredacted notes on an interview with Kushner that they were supposed to get in January, but have still not received because the intelligence community was looking over it for what could (laughs) be Oh, yeah, they were reviewing it more. exactly. And so they just have really no one knows when that's actually going to come out. Um, And in contrast with the memos of people close to Trump, the rest of the 302s are almost entirely unredacted. So... It's very hard to not look at this dump from the Justice Department and think that this is just more of the administration protecting itself and no one else. That's gross. Yeah, very gross. So what do you think? Do you think, um, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how we can get these. Yeah, I mean. Declassified. I mean, I don't think that a lot of this shit is classified. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, it is Judge Reggie Walton who's overseeing this case. Mm-hmm. And he has, he has said in the courtroom, like, I don't think. That he'll go through it individually. And yeah. Stuff. I'll go through these line by line and make sure that these are redacted. Right. Appropriately. Well, it is being reported that none of them, uh, none of the language is redacted for issues of harm to an ongoing investigation. For example, like. A, they're all shut down. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously. But I guess the point just being that the only reasons that are left are them trying to protect themselves, basically. Privacy, Privacy um, yeah. Yeah, for like, you, yeah, like their whatever internal attorney notes and, and stuff that the executive branch wants to keep secret. And that's, that's, that's about all they think they need to give as reasoning. So I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know enough about how that sort of, you know, appeals like process looks really. Um, I imagine Congress is not going to be satisfied with that or not. Co- well, I mean, I guess Congress, but CNN, BuzzFeed, their attorneys, people that are, you know, having a hugely vested interest in getting these unredacted materials. File a motion to have the court review the redactions for appropriateness. Mm-hmm. That would probably be my next step. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, think, I think this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah. And but, I think um, Reggie Walton would be inclined to do it. Mm-hmm. I so how much do you know does Congress have of the unredacted materials of those 302s? Uh, none. They're because, in the same position then. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they're getting what BuzzFeed is getting because right. Nadler filed July 27th. Um, coincidentally, when we were in Chicago with Renato Mariotti, who's coming up later in the show, mm-hmm. uh, filed to get the Mueller underlying documents and mm-hmm. interviews. And they filed for that. And they're still it's still in court. Um, right. That's okay, the one that's so, going to be heard by the Supreme Court, argued March 31st with a decision out end of June. Awesome. Thank you. So they're truly operating off of the, the same information the public has at this point. Yeah. yeah uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, unless there's some sort of super secret skiff that somebody people went into to read these documents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they know what's in them, but they couldn't take notes or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I doubt it. I don't think they would have handed that shit over. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Yes. Um. I want to talk about the McCabe documents. So we got a giant dump of finally um, the McCabe stuff. So if you remember, um, the the Department of Justice was trying to get McCabe indicted. They impaneled a grand jury for lack of candor to um, inspector general and FBI agents. And the federal grand jury did not return an indictment. Um, they didn't indict. And mm-hmm. so 
Barr was like, uh, kept it open. And the judge in this case um, said, look, the federal judge goes, look, you either have to close this case because you didn't return an indictment or you have to drop all of the firing documents that were asked for in these FOIA requests, Mm -hmm. like all the documents surrounding the the firing of, of McCabe. And the DOJ went, okay, okay, well, you know, we'll go, we'll, we'll do it. We'll release the documents. We're not going to close the investigation for whatever reason. No reason. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they said that they released the documents. And so they've, they've, that was a while ago. And now they're starting to slowly release them. So we got this first dump. And what we got were the 302s um, with uh, Lisa Page, McCabe, and Comey. Mm-hmm. So first, the Lisa Page interview. This is 200 pages of stuff. I'm just going to give you the what I thought stood out to me. Most of this, as, as listeners of Mueller show up, you already know. You already know from the McCabe interviews. You already know from Lisa Page and the Molly Jong Fast interview. You know most of what 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 uh, is in these. Uh, what I didn't, what I was surprised about was the ongoing, um, like, relentless questioning of all three of these folks to try to get someone to say that McCabe leaked mm-hmm. to the press. Mm-hmm. Um, and just over and over again, all three of them saying, McCabe can't leak to the press. He's the deputy director of the FBI. He's authorized to talk to the press. Mm-hmm. And they would just over and over keep keep probing that, especially one specific agent whose name is redacted, by mm. the way, in these documents. So first, Lisa Page told investigators, no one had any concerns about McCabe going to the press because he had sole authorization to do so. Mm-hmm. Like I said, remember, McCabe was being investigated for his lack of candor and, and speaking to the press about the Clinton email case back in 2016. And he said he told the inspector general, I didn't recall doing that. But then he amended his statement to say, oh, I did. I did that. Uh, sorry, I forgot to tell you I did that. And then Trump wanted to put him in jail for that. But, <laughs> but the grand jury, like I said, wouldn't indict him. So this is the the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington FOIA case, and that's where we're getting all these documents. So then Lisa Page told investigators there were no discussions in the department about any leak from McCabe to her, nor would there have been because Andy had total authority to talk to the press. Though after all this happened, she said they started changing the policy that all information to the press had to go through public affairs. But that policy hadn't been finalized yet and most certainly wasn't in effect when Mm. Andy spoke to The Wall Street Journal. Mm. Page also told investigators that Comey never came to her upset about it, and they went after her hard about that. Did, did Mr. Comey say anything to you? No. Did Mr. Axelrod say anything to you? No. Did anyone at the FBI express uh, concerns to you? No. Do you have any conversations with senior FBI managers about the article after it was published? No. Did you hear any FBI managers raise concerns about it? No. Did you hear any Department of Justice senior managers complain about it? No. So nobody was trying to figure out who sent this to the press? No. <laughs> I don't think this is really um, a thing. I don't think it drew any particular attention by anyone for any reason, she said. And that goes on for pages. Just them, no one was concerned. No, blah, 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 blah. She's like, no, no, nobody fucking cared. Mm-hmm. No, he's allowed to talk to the press. He authorized me to talk to the press. I'm allowed to talk to the press. We're authorized to talk to the press. Mm-hmm. Sandy fucking McCabe. Uh, so that goes on for pages. Pretty ridiculous. Then there's Comey's interview. And it starts with McCabe, according to Comey, McCabe emailing Comey saying, hey, bad news. Wall Street Journal is publishing an article that my wife took election money from Hillary Clinton. Oh, uh, I got an ethics OK on this. Uh, sorry for adding to the drama. Ugh. And based on that email, Comey took McCabe off the decision to get a warrant to look at emails into the Wiener laptop, which, according to Comey, upset Andy. But Comey insisted 
uh, saying there could be a perception of a conflict, so I don't want you to be part of this. But then Comey walked that back and said, actually, I think it was Andy who came to me and took himself off the case. Hmm. And then said he'd been thinking about it and he shouldn't be involved in the decision to, to, to open up a reopen the Clinton investigation into the Wiener laptop. Apparently, Rubicki, who was one of the original Comey Five, and Lisa Page were trying to tell Comey not to take Andy off the case because this is what Comey says, by the way, because the rank and file saw Andy McCabe as an elitist blue flamer climber. I don't know what blue flamer means. <laughs> Me neither. Sounds like you're farting your way to the top <laughs> and lighten them. And blue if Comey. <laughs> And if Comey took him off the case, it would undercut Andy's authority down the road to the rank-and-file FBI. Comey said he didn't care and he didn't have time and his instincts were right. So Rebecca communicated to, that to, uh, to Andy when it came in. When, uh, when, and, then he, and then apparently... So I guess Comey was like, I told him to get off the case. Well, no, I remember Rebecca and Paige saying, don't take him off the case. And me saying, I don't care, I'm right. And then Rebicki told Andy that he was off the case. And then Andy came in and said, I'm taking myself off the case. It's just all weird. Like, didn't you take any contemporaneous notes, homie? And so Comey said over and over that he and the deputy director have the authority to speak to the press. He did say that over and over. This combined with Lisa Page's assertion of the same policy make it very hard for the grand jury to indict McCabe for lacking candor about a leak to the press. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would be nearly impossible to prove corrupt intent when he has the authority to speak to the Wall Street Journal. Meaning if Barr wants to charge him with lying to the FBI about speaking to the press, does it make sense he would lie about speaking to the press mm-hmm. if he has the authority to speak to the press? Right. No, which makes sense and, and jives with his story of, I forgot, and mm-hmm. then I went back in and said, oh, no, 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 I did authorize mm-hmm. that. So then we have McCabe's interview, um, which we know for, uh, we know all about everything that he says from his public statements, from his, from his book uh, interviews and his book talks to what's, and everything after that. And everything he's told us is confirmed by what is in the interview. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the interview that's different from what he has said publicly. Mm-hmm. So that's, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And then I wanted that's to show... some good candor. It is very good candor. <laughs> I don't think he lacks candor. I think I he's got think so awesome candor. <laughs> candor is magnificent, my friend. Uh, and I wanted to share with you an email I got from McCabe. Uh, he says, so good to hear from you. Been thinking of y'all as well. Uh, hard to game out exactly what will happen with D.C. Barr has to put someone in there. This is the U.S. attorney in D.C. Mm-hmm. Barr has to put someone in there. And we don't really know much about Shay, except that he's tight with Barr, which is bad. It's certainly possible that he has been given an assignment to get McCabe, but we'll have to just wait and see. The impending acquittal uh, of our president is pretty troubling, totally predictable, but yet another depressing indicator of what we have become as a country. Now we will have to sit through hearing X number of Republicans saying, hearing X number of Republicans saying they think he was wrong, but it was not impeachable. And POTUS will continue uh, to be even more emboldened by this process disaster. On that happy note, we're marching along. Um, George learned he will be going to Duke next year. That's his son. And Aww. Maggie is loving high school. Jill is always is working harder than ever. She's getting her MBA. All is well. Hell yeah. I hope you're happy despite our national disgrace. Be good to yourself. Find the funny in everything and work for November when we have a chance to fix this mess. We will get through this time because we're better than this. Best. Fuck. Yes. Andy McCabe. So Very cool. I said I could share that with you guys, so I wanted to. Um, And so that's sort of where we're at right now, that, that Barr has removed Lou She's the U.S. attorney in D.C. Uh, I think we might see the we could see the indictment of Andy McCabe yet. Also, keep your eyes on Page and Struck as their lawsuits are working their way through the courts. And they're looking at Comey again. He's kind of just sort of a 
jerk. So I still don't think he did anything illegal. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. You know, I'll, I'm I'm open to evidence. Yeah. Wait, who's a jerk? Comey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So there's just a lot of shit going on. We don't. Not only do we have Barr replacing Jesse Liu. But Barr's daughter works in the Treasury over in FinCEN, which oversees money laundering investigations. One of his other relatives works in the Department of Justice. He's got Benjkowski from Kirkland and Ellis there. Stephen Boyd, who's also a giant piece of shit. And on top of all that, Trump has fired uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, his twin brother, Gordon Sundland. Um, we go over that story in detail in the Daily Beans. Uh, and so this is getting more and more dangerous as the days and weeks pass. It's imperative we vote, vote them all out. In November, especially now that the Trump administration is openly talking about rewarding Jay Sekulow with the Supreme Court nomination. Yeah, saw that. We can't let that happen, so. No, fuck. Register, vote, do your thing. Yes. Let uh, RBG retire. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) Let the lady retire. All right, are you ready for sabotage? Yep. All right, so the government's motion in the Flynn case is due to Sullivan noon Wednesday. And that might shed a little more light on how the Justice Department might move forward <laughs> and whether or not they're going to just roll over and accept the sentencing from, from Sullivan or perhaps bring charges that Flynn escaped by cooperating now that he's trying to withdraw his guilty plea. Mm-hmm. Uh, all good information to keep in mind as we play the Fantasy and Diamond League. I'm going to be indicted! No, it is going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey, I'm gonna be a oh, they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm gonna be indicted. So watching the Super Bowl on Fox with the <laughs> da 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 da, I, re- I just kept hearing, "I'm gonna be indicted," like, yeah, yeah, over yeah. and over again. I could not hear it. So <laughs> if that happened to you as well, you're welcome. Uh, I get to go first. Fantasy indictment league this week. I'm gonna. P- <laughs> um. Is that because we have a completely deflated DOJ? It's at. <laughs> It's going to be all good guys. I'm going to put McCabe oh, in my fantasy indictment league. Oh, sad. I know. Playing for the win. I'm doing Tom Barrick. Nice. Guy's a dick. Yes, he is. Um, Trump inaugural. Uh, Trump org. T-org. <laughs> Torg. I'm going to go with Ghislaine Maxwell. Mm. I remember when we used to put like Ivanka Jared and DTJ on it all the Dude, time? Like week two. Uh, remember? Such like misplaced hope. We're like December of 2017. <laughs> like Kushner could go down this week. I think it's Kushner. Yeah. Oh, that's because it's yeah, so cute. Product of a lot of momentum, I guess. Um, okay. I will do uh, Pecker. Pecker. Really holding out. All right. Dylan Howard in that case. Okay. From AMI. Okay. I will do superseding. Harness. Good one. I'll go. Um, I have one left. Flynn. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm holding mm-hmm. out hope. Yeah. Holding out hope. I think that makes sense. Um, I will do superseding Freeman. Freeman, Parnas and Freeman show. <laughs> All right, that is how we play the Fantasy Indictment League. Uh, if you want to play along, uh, go to our closed social media groups uh, or patron Patreon, and, and you can put your picks there. And uh, the point structure is all listed there and everything. Uh, super sorry about our just completely um, 
compromised Department of Justice, we probably would have a lot more points at this point if if we didn't have it that way. Uh, we'll be right back with the interview from the incomparable host of the On Topic podcast and former U.S. Attorney Renato Mariotti. So stick around for that. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And this episode of Mueller She Wrote is brought to you by Third Love. I am obsessed with Third Love. I have, that's all I wear now for my bras is Third Love. They have a better way uh, because I used to walk around with the like, straps digging, not fitting, itchiness, but I found a better way with Third Love. So they designed the most comfortable bra I've ever worn, tailored to perfectly fit my individual body shape. I was able to find my perfect fit in just a couple minutes by taking their online fit finder quiz. Third Love uses data from millions of women who have taken the quiz to take into account both cup size and breast shape to find the perfect bra for you. Many women, including myself, fall between cup sizes, which makes it super frustrating when trying to find the right fit. But Third Love has over 80 sizes. They're an industry leader with the number of sizes they have, including their signature half cup sizes. So I easily found my exact perfect fit just for me. Every Third Love bra is made with lightweight, super thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape. No slip straps and smooth, scratch-free bands. Like with the, they don't have the the tag in there, so there's no itchiness, and it's all designed for comfort. Um, Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. They're available. They're available to help via chat or email anytime. And with Third Love's perfect fit promise, you have 60 days to try it out. And if you don't absolutely love it, returns are always free. And best of all, this is my favorite part. This is the philanthropic part. Third Love donates all their gently used bras to people in need. Uh, so far, Third Love has donated over $15 million in bras, uh, supporting charities in the local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States. So that's really wonderful. And Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com AG to find the perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com AG for 15% off today. You'll be glad you did. So joining us today for the interview is former U.S. attorney and host of the On Topic podcast. Please welcome back Renato Mariotti. Renato, welcome back to Mueller, She Wrote. Thank you. Always glad to be on the show. How are you? We haven't spoken in, it feels like forever, but I think it was not that long ago. <laughs> no doubt. No, I'll tell you, in, in today's world, a week or two can just feel like an entire lifetime. So I've been busy practicing law and doing my own podcast and, and all sorts of other things. So definitely keep them busy. Good. And if you have, if our listeners have not listened to the On Topic podcast, you really should check that out. It's It's really, really very informative. Um, and uh, I we I really appreciate all the work that you're doing on that. So thank you for that. And I wanted to have the reason I have you here today is I wanted a legal expert um, to talk to us about the this bombshell news that's come out over the weekend about the removal of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and his brother uh, from the National Security Council. And then, of course, Gordon Sondland from uh, as ambassador of the EU. I think they just dissolved that position. Has Trump actually broken any laws here? Let's pretend he's not above the law. <laughs> has, he actually, has he actually broken any laws here? You know, it's a great question. You know, it obviously stinks to high heaven, which is why my initial reaction was to tweet out that this looks a lot like witness uh, retaliation, which it is. I think, you know, we saw Donald Trump Jr. tweeted out essentially that, that, you know, I think he said something like Schiff smoked out everyone that Trump needed to fire, that sort of thing. So I think it's clear that the intent of this is to retaliate against people who are witnesses against Trump. And I also think that it, the, uh, another part of the intent is essentially to discourage other people from ever coming forward in the future. So is it, does it break the law? Well, let's start on the criminal side of things, because that's what I think people are really focused on is, you know, is this sort of, sort of witness tampering? So one problem 
with any kind of bringing any kind of criminal claim for, for this being like a, a form of witness tampering is that it's not clear that an impeachment proceeding is a quote legal, you know, is, is a legal proceeding for purposes of any of the stat, federal statutes. So in other words, you know, uh, it's clear that uh, let's say a, a, a you know, a court case would be, uh, a, you know, grand jury investigation would be, but, you know, is impeachment and impeachment inquiry, uh, is it uh, uh, a, um, a, a proceeding for purposes of the statute? I don't, you know, that is an open question. No one knows for sure, but let's just assume that it is. Another problem is, of course, that, that all of the testimony already occurred. In other words, the proceedings over, whatever it is, you know, it, the impeachment proceedings are over, and it's clear that he's not trying to influence any future testimony in that proceeding, right? So that's why I'm sure that his advice from his lawyers was to wait until the impeachment was done to do it. Uh, because now, the you know, it would be one thing if in the middle of the impeachment inquiry he fired uh, someone, you know, you dismissed Sondland or, or demoted uh, Vindman uh, or transferred Vindman. You know, he purposely waited until after, uh, you know, it was over uh, to do that. So I think the argument here, you know, really would be, uh, you know, that he's trying to, you know, essentially hurt witnesses, you know, hurt or he's trying to discourage witnesses from coming forward as to some future wrongdoing or some, you know, or, or something like that. But, of course, we don't know what that would be. We don't know what that future proceeding would be. It's very... Um, it's very uh, speculative. So I don't, I don't see this as something that would be a prosecutor would actually charge as a practical matter. It's, I mean, do I think that there might be a clever person out there who, who could try to shoehorn it into something? I, I guess. I, it doesn't appear like it's obviously uh, one to me. And another issue I should just mention, you know, Vinman didn't lose his job. He's just moved to a new post within, you know, the Army. And Sondland's an ambassador, and they're sort of routinely, you know, they serve at the pleasure of the president and so forth. So it's, it's not clear, um, it's not clear to me, um, you, know, w w you know, whether or not there's any, I, it doesn't seem to me, I would say, that there's any criminal case. Now, on the civil side, uh, it's possible, I don't see Sondland having any kind of claim, it's possible that Vinman might claim that he was, um, that he was, he, you know, an adverse action was taken against him for an employment matter for some sort of improper reason. But, you know, I, I'm not, a, you know, one thing, I'm not an expert in terms of the Army's code of justice. You know, does he have a civil claim? He may, but I don't think, you know, it's not clear what the impact would be on his career, what the damages would be to him. Uh, and, aside, you know, aside from that, I mean, whether or not this is even technically a demotion or, an adverse action anyway. He was set to leave uh, the NSC in six months anyway. Yeah, and, and truth be told, uh, generally when you're doing a civil suit for an adverse action, the remedy is to get your job back. Uh, and is that really a tenable situation for Vindman? My, I would be more like his brother probably has a really solid claim, <laughs> um, you know, civilly speaking, uh, because what, like his, what does his brother have to do with it? Uh, and then, so you're and you, but you're not thinking Sundland's going to sue for his million dollars back. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think <laughs> Sundland has any right to do that. And his brother too, it's sort of like, 
you know, the, if the president's not firing you for, it's not like he, he's being, you know, the, the, it, these, these, they, these guys aren't, you know, Sir, uh, Vinman and his brother aren't whistleblowers for purposes of any statute uh, or regulation. Uh, there, you know, uh, Vinman is somebody who came forward once there was already uh, an inquiry. His brother, of course, is just totally unrelated to that. You know, typically speaking, um, certainly employers can fire people for all in many in most states for all, any any reason whatsoever. Certainly in my state, you know, I I can't answer. I don't know enough about the facts of the situation or all the potential applicable laws to know for sure whether they have a civil claim. Uh, but I, I, it, there's no obvious claim yeah. uh, that's out there. And now what about this? Uh, Vinman Sunland and Vinman's brother aside, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman's brother aside, I mean, because we, we know Trump has a long history of firing those that oppose him, going back to Comey and Jim Baker and Andy McCabe, what we called the Comey Five, uh, Bente. There were a ton of people at the FBI who were investigating Trump Russia who got moved or put in HR or set behind a plant somewhere. Um, but now there's reporting that Trump's got his eyes on firing the inspector general um, Atkinson. And that's, uh, I think, maybe of greater concern than these sort of other moves. What do you what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, the, the concern I'm concerned about all of them, the concern with the other moves, I agree with you that the, the other moves are essentially him sending a message to future people. Anybody who opposes me, there's consequences, right? Now, here, essentially, all the, um, all the inspector general did was follow the law and protect the whistleblower who came forward. And, you know, this is, he's, he's somebody who's not any sort of partisan or anything like that. He wasn't, you know, going out of his way to hurt Trump. He was just doing what his duty was. And essentially what Trump's saying is, you, if you protect a whistleblower, I'm going to take an action against you. And I want people in there who aren't going to protect whistleblowers. I mean, that is, in fact, the message. So, you know, the Senate uh, certainly should have something to say about that if he ever wants to, if he does that, and wants to replace that position. But I, once again, I don't, I don't see a way in which doing that, um, you know, is violates a law or statute. In other words, the unstated message may be that he wants people who are loyal to him or that he wants people to, uh, who don't enforce the law. I mean, that would itself be an abuse of power. Uh, but uh, we, as we've seen, I mean, I think Trump could do pretty much anything and not get removed from office for abusing his power. So I don't want to, I don't like to give people false hope that something's going to happen to Trump if that's the case. And so I don't want to do that. Yeah, well, it hasn't happened before, so why it would happen this last year uh, of his presidency, I'm, I'm not sure why anyone would would think that. I mean, it's 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 it certainly justifies a little bit of outrage, and it's completely corrupt and totally horrible. But again, if something is going to happen or not, it's, I'm with you, probably not. I fear that our only recourse here is to talk about it widely, shine light on it, vote in November. But if we get the the White House and the Senate hold the House. Or, yeah, do you think that maybe any of these laws could be changed to maybe strengthen them? Do you see that as a as something that's feasible without actually because, um, you know, sometimes laws can go overboard. Uh, do you see that as something that could that's that's feasible? Yeah, I well, certainly. I mean, certainly you could strengthen, for example, protections for people who are witnesses um, against abuses in the executive branch, you know, you could certainly enhance whistleblower protections. You know, clearly there's inadequacies to the whistleblower statute, which is which 
Republicans like Rand Paul and, uh, and others have exploited, uh, Donald Trump Jr. and so forth have exploited. But, but also, you know, there are also new statutes that, that could be enacted. I mean, one lawmaker had asked my advice about a statute that would criminalize uh, seeking, for, uh, seeking foreign, foreign help uh, and, you know, or foreign in, you know, influence or interference in an election more broadly. You know, it's possible. There's issues. There's constitutional issues of crafting a statute like that, but it's possible to come up with statutes that could, you know, make it more difficult, at the very least, for, for people to engage in that sort of activity. Yeah, because it's kind of just the polar opposite of what Mueller did when Mueller refused to come out and say Trump committed a crime because Mueller was afraid of tainting future prosecutions. But here we have a president who has absolutely no fear of tainting future witnesses (laughs) that might come forward against him. So were we a little too, you know, a lot of people say Mueller was a little too conservative uh, about that. Um, But again, you know, it's it's how loyal you are to the rule of law and what you're willing to do and not do in order to corrupt future witnesses or prosecutions. Yeah, I have to say our legal system is not really set up to deal with a president who is essentially going to maximally do whatever possible to increase his own personal power and to weaken institutions that could potentially serve as a check on him. And I think the reality is, that all of us now, between now and November, have to do whatever we can to organize and to mobilize and to get votes out because the legal system is just not equipped to handle that. Yeah. And speaking of weakening institutions, before I let you go, I was wondering what you thought about Bill Barr's new rule that any investigation by the Department of Justice into a presidential or vice presidential candidate for president must submit that in writing to him and get express written consent from Bill Barr in order to go forward. Does that actually, isn't that already a rule? Why would he need to come out and say, say this? Well, I don't, it's not exactly a rule. Um, it, it is certainly the practice of the Justice Department. I think, look, as a practical matter, any sort of investigation that would, that would touch on the candidacy of a, of a uh, candidate for president would go uh, ordinarily through the attorney. You know, the attorney general would be aware of that. Um, in real time, they would be taught, you know, they're certainly, they would go up the chain of command at the justice department. It's obviously a concern because Trump has shown that he is going to do it again. I mean, it's, it's very hard to see that he's not going to try to, you know, have foreign interference in our election again or invite that. And so, uh, you know, the, the issue here is, you know, now Barr is, you know, Barr of course himself is, you know, sure looks like a, a person who's going out of his way to do everything possible to um, help Trump and sees his loyalty to Trump and not to the Constitution. And given that, essentially what he's saying is put it in right. You need to have my written authorization for doing anything that touches a political campaign. And I think what it suggests is on the margin. And what I mean by on the margin is the economics or what I mean is on the, the sort of borderline cases of like, well, this person's kind of affiliated with the campaign, but they're not like the candidate or anyone really important. Uh, I think all of that is probably going to get funneled through Barr out of an abundance of caution. And he is getting, by requiring written authorization, it essentially means that there can be no question you know, can't just be that you slipped it into a conversation or a briefing and that's enough. Like you've got to, you have to get him to in writing say this is authorized and, you know, given who Barr is, I think 
uh, you know, it means that the you know the only investigations may may very well be of uh, Trump's political opponents. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that happening. Considering I I thought we had had some reporting from the New York Times that the FBI hadn't announced a formal investigation into foreign interference into 2020, but they were certainly looking at it, whether it was a full blown investigation or not. And now I'm assuming maybe those kinds of things probably wouldn't be allowed to go forward. Exactly. Well, you know, hey, uh, chin's up, right? (laughs) Um, I don't know what else to say other than, all right, high five for nothing. But thank you for clarifying as always, though. I mean, this, this, it's important that we have these conversations about what's happened, what can be done about it, if nothing we should know, and then what we can do as the electorate going forward to try to help ensure that this doesn't happen with future presidents. So former U.S. attorney, host of On Topic, the podcast. Check it out if you have not. Renato Mariotti, thank you for coming on Mueller, She Wrote. Thank you very much. All right, everybody, that's our show. Thank you so much. Um, any final thoughts from your end over there? Love Renato Mariotti. Thank you for coming on again. He's so great. He's so good. We He's- have so many. I'm very thankful for the network of very intelligent, knowledgeable, career-based individuals <laughs> <laughs> that we've been able to like foster on here. We got very, very lucky uh, yeah. in that in that we have such a great team uh, mm-hmm. around us, and I, that's why I look forward to going D- to DC and New York yeah. so often is because we can run into and, and make plans and see all right. all the folks that we've had on the show. Yeah, it's just very cool that these folks live incredibly professional lives mm. and we are an independent podcast and they support journalism and i know we struggle sometimes with calling ourselves journalists <laughs> but you know curatorial journalism and they support that and it's really cool that we get the same experts that are on cnn that you get to hear in a very organic setting yeah very cool it's it's sometimes weird like sometimes i like i'm like what like i i talked to how many former u.s attorneys this week yeah they're really generous with their time and so i really appreciate it mm-hmm. we do thank you so much uh renato and all of our uh, totally of our, of our previous guests it's been really really except for rob goldstone you're a little weird <laughs> oh my god goldstone <laughs> i forgot about that shit also michael avenatti goldstone yeah, yeah avenatti would be <laughs> Everyone else, um, <laughs> thank you so much for your support. And you guys, you listeners, y'all, thank you for your support. Um, head to patreon.com slash Muller She Wrote. Help us out. Um, support women in podcasting. We're going to get our video link up in here soon. You'll be able to see our faces on Patreon at any level, any level that you subscribe uh, to, to the podcast at. And we're working on getting the mugs out to you. We had a little snafu with our uh outsourced printing company because run by dudes no i'm kidding (laughs) making stuff up run by robots robots uh yeah it's probably and it's (laughs) we just had a a tough time with that we're fixing it we're going to send you some extra stuff hang in there and and we'll make sure that it happens and thank you all so much for for your support it's been absolutely unwavering and astounding and humbling and I, i can't thank you enough so thank you so much take care of yourselves take care of each other i've been ag i've been jordan coburn and this is Mueller. she wrote Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com.
Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. SW Media.